0: Humans. How's it going? Susan Ruth here. Thanks for listening to another episode of Hey Human Podcast. This is episode 160. It was recorded in Los Angeles, California, and I sat down with KJ. She is many things, but. Uh, The reason why I wanted to talk with her is because of the journey she has been on, more about who she is rather than what she does. I'm going to touch on what she does. She's a singer-songwriter. She's on Spotify under Just KJ. She's got an album coming out soon under the name Just KJ. Uh, She's a yoga person. She does all sorts of really fascinating adventures, Uh, but it's how she got to where she is that really intrigued me, and she was kind enough to sit down and chatter with me uh, at her place that she's staying in. She's here from Hawaii visiting for a few weeks, so we got to intersect, and she told me about her upbringing and some choices she had made, some people she had hurt along the way, and how she's come to find herself. And so it's my hope that, of course, listening to her will be inspiring as much as it was for me, that it would be that for you. Uh, the usual stuff, heyhumanpodcast.com. Of course, the links page for this episode is massive. KJ talks about a lot of books and YouTube videos and movies and things, and I made sure to, to get as much of that down as I could um, without <laughs> overwhelming anybody on the links page. There's a lot of good info there, though. Uh, also on the Hey Human Podcast website is the Amazon portal, Uh, Hey Human is ad free. I like to keep it that way. So if you shop Amazon, do so through the Amazon portal there on the Hey Human podcast website, and it helps support Hey Human. Email me, susan at heyhumanpodcast.com. Rate and review Hey Human on iTunes. Uh, You can find me on all the social media at this point, whether it's under Hey Human Podcast or Susan Ruthism. And uh, you can also find me at susanruth.com if you want to know a little bit more about me personally. All right, let's uh, get this underway. Here we go. Hi, KJ. Hello. <laughs> thank you for being on Hey Human.
1: I'm stoked. Thank you. This is
0: a, a nice surprise to uh, see you here in Los Angeles because normally you are in Hawaii. Yeah. Right? Yes. We, I'm tr- I was trying to remember when... We don't really know each other, but we do because we met what, three, four years ago, maybe?
1: No, it's actually been- Was it longer? I've been in Hawaii almost six years. No, you haven't. Yes, I have. That's so, insane <laughs> to me. Yeah, and I I met you, I think the first time I met you was in Key West.
0: It was Key West. Uh, I met you in a pool, I believe. Yeah, um, through our mutual friends, Danny and Megan. Danny and Megan, I yeah. miss them. Yeah, they're great. I miss them too. Let's go backwards a little bit. Where are, we, where are you from? What's? Um, well, originally I'm from Maine.
1: Um, I grew up in the middle of the woods basically until I was five or six.
0: Okay, the middle of the woods. Was, middle of the woods, I me. mean?
1: It, like we had no neighbors, and my friends were like trees and deer and stuff. <laughs> I was okay. definitely so you start super... started taking
0: mushrooms at four. Or yes, <laughs> yes.
1: I seriously had no friends because I grew up in the middle of the woods, and my was my dad was away for work, so it was my sister and my mom and I in this house. And my mom had a, a preschool in our house, so every like three days a week we had some kids that would come to our house
0: to socialize you
1: yeah and they were they went to my mom's preschool so I like didn't even have to leave the house so I was just like there until I was five or six my mom actually had to send me to another preschool because I got angry at her giving anyone else attention
0: how did you behave when you got angry
1: um I was super sassy you're um, still
0: pretty sad. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How'd you feel about being shipped off to another preschool? <laughs>
1: <laughs> or daycare? I actually loved it. It was like, finally, I got to get out of the house. Yeah.
0: You know? um, Were your parents hippies, or are they just like the woods?
1: It's just where my dad grew up. Oh, okay.
0: Um, Maine well, is beautiful.
1: Yeah. it's um, It's gorgeous for like two months out of the year.
0: And then it's what, snow?
1: It's snow, and then it's... We have like a giant winter, and then there's a giant mud season when everything's melting, mm-hmm. and then it finally gets nice. in June, July, August, September, and then October is actually beautiful. I love it when it's starting to cool off, and then and then it's another dark, dreary, you cold really, winter.
0: You don't have an accent or anything.
1: No, I've moved around so much. I moved to Massachusetts when I was six. That was the uh, first time I was actually like around like a neighborhood with kids and I was definitely awkward and uh went to elementary school there and then when I was 11 years old my parents came into my bedroom and told me we were moving to the Dominican Republic which I had never heard of and I didn't know where it was.
0: You're like can't you just get a divorce like (laughs) normal parents? Oh my gosh. Why the Dominican?
1: Um they have shoe factories down there and my dad has always worked in shoe factories and he was traveling so much to go down there all the time in Mexico and the Caribbean. And uh, so instead of him being away all the time, uh, they proposed the whole family moving down there. They paid for the move, they paid for our private school and uh, I think the house and cars and everything. So it it was a good move. That's great. It was a good move for everyone except for, I guess, for the kids because it was hard, really hard for us. Wow. I was just about to go through puberty. And, um, like, I, I remember I had, like, little mosquito bite boobs that were just starting to get sore, you know, like, right before they were coming in. <laughs> and um, and that's when I got down there. And I'd never had male attention before. I didn't even, like, know I was a, a female sure. until I moved down there. And then all of a sudden... I got so much, like you couldn't walk outside of the house without the guys hissing and, mommy, mommy chula. And calling me rubia, which means blondie and I'm not blonde, but every white person is a rubia or gringa. My first AOL screen name was actually gringa 13. (laughs) Cause I just owned it. Like everyone called me that and sometimes it was derogatory and sometimes it was friendly just a like, cute nickname or whatever, but, um...
0: What does that do to your self-understanding if you're being sexualized the minute you come um, into womanhood?
1: It, it's funny. Like, as soon as... I, I was a tomboy when we moved there. I, like, wanted to play sports. I was always... I was, like, left-eye TLC. I loved wearing, like, the baggy pants and the tiny shirts and... Super tomboy. And then as soon as I got down there, um... My parents can attest to this. It was like overnight, um, I started feeling more like a woman and just was starting to wear uh, high heels and mini skirts. My parents tried to not let me leave the house like that, but them trying to discipline me was pretty impossible.
0: Um, (laughs) Were you a bratty kid?
1: I was definitely a bratty kid. Oh my goodness, I feel bad for them.
0: Where were you in the birth order?
1: I'm the middle child. I have an older sister who's three years older and she has Asperger's and autism. Like, they couldn't actually like diagnose her with something specific. She's very unique. She has growth problems as well.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so immediately when I was like, I don't know, five years old, I knew that I was the older sister. Um, and she got made fun of so much. And I've always been kind of spunky and feisty that came in handy because uh i had to defend her a lot in
0: school did you get in physical fights
1: there was times where i hit people (laughs) but it was always out of you know out of love for her and um she'd come home crying all the time and it was so sad to see because she was the sweetest um but kids are brutal i got i got kicked off the bus once because i punched a boy for making fun of her and I had people coming up to me all the time, being like, how does it feel to have a sister like that? And, um, and if they were asking me like, in a sweet, genuine way, I would just, you know, I'm like, I don't know, I've never had another sister. Um, but if they were asking in a mean way, it would really get under my skin. Are you still close? Um, yeah, I mean, we, we text. Uh, we don't talk on the phone very much. Um, she lives in Michigan, and she's actually married to... Um, to a guy named Mark and her name's Kelly and they live in Michigan and they are the cutest little couple and they have their own set of quirks and they are like a match made in heaven.
0: Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah,
1: Um, nobody, I mean, I think they told my mom that she would never graduate high school and she graduated college and she's married and lives on her own with her husband. So that it's, they never treated her any different. They just, anytime like they they put her through normal school She only took a few special classes, um, and every time they did anything for us, like, if they bought me a laptop, obviously she got one. Like, it was—everything was the same. There was no— Isn't
0: that interesting how doctors and probably a a lot of medicine lump it all together, that they would say, this is the limitation we're putting on your child. And how many parents who are in a state of maybe shock, hearing that their kid, you know, is different— or just not understanding whatever's going on, just accepts that. And then, as you said, you know, your parents didn't treat her any differently, but many parents, without even meaning to, but just out of love, start treating them or maybe, kid glove or or not thinking, oh, well, they're not gonna achieve this, so I'm not gonna put them through that stress, you know, to make them feel bad or something. And then you have the other parents who are like, well, fuck off. I'm just gonna expect the best from my child and, and see what happens, and then, You know, human beings rise to their occasions if you give them half a fucking chance. It it frustrates me to no end when I hear medical professionals telling parents what is an impossibility. Such and such defied the odds. It's like, well, who gave them those odds? Is there some bookie that's deciding that your kid isn't going to become something great?
1: Totally. I feel... My sister's so... I mean, she's a brilliant person, and um, but just autistic, autistic people, you know, they, they are really smart and they can be really really good at things, but they just their social skills are not there and they're they they can not She can't. She doesn't like loud noises and crowded places. And
0: did you define yourself by what you weren't in comparison? Especially since even though you behaved like the older sister even though she, because she was the older sister? Did, did that, sort of like the, the guys whistling at you, defining your womanhood, did a sister who's autistic define your not autism? Or did, did it occur to you or?
1: No, not at all. Um, I remember it being hard for her when I was getting so much guy attention because she was the boy crazy one. She loved boys, like I never liked boys. I was just like, it took me a long time to start liking guys. I was just like in my own little creative world and I loved to be alone and and um she like would come home from school and like kindergarten and first grade talking about all the crushes that she had
0: and I'm um, like your sister
1: <laughs> and then, and, then all, and there was a guy in in uh, high school that she was in class with actually or in her class we went to such a small school there was like 20 kids in each class in the Dominican and um She liked this guy named Sammy, and the next thing you know, Sammy asked me out, and we start dating, and she had a hard time with that at the beginning, because it was like her big crush, and that happened a lot, so I, you know, I didn't even realize all this until my mom told me afterwards, but it was hard for her to see. She had a lot of jealousy toward me, because I'm the younger sister who was like the first one to have a boyfriend, the first one, I mean, I was... It was hard for her to see me doing all the things that she wanted to do, but couldn't driving a car. we took driver's ed together, and she her motor skills are very uh um she if she starts laughing, she loses control of her whole body she just like giggles like just can't can't do anything when she's laughing so I took driver's ed with her, and if she started laughing, she just would like let go of the entire vehicle. And, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was scary. So, so she could she drive did not here get in LA,
0: her. but any place else. <laughs> yeah,
1: she didn't get her light. I have
0: seen but. some interesting things on the freeway here so far. <laughs> oh my gosh! People just stop in the middle. They, they'll they'll be going they'll be going the normal speed limit, and then they just decide to stop for no reason. It's very weird. Anyway, I I learned how
1: to drive in the Dominican Republic. Like, I mean, I took driver's ed in Maine uh, during the summertime. But like, my parents were—I don't understand how they let me do this. But they—they gave me my mom's Ford Explorer in high school. I like had just turned sixteen, and I'm like driving in Santiago, Dominican Republic, which was crazy. There's like tires burning in the streets, cows and chickens everywhere. There's no lanes of traffic. You just kind of get there. (laughs) <laughs> and like if like stoplights are just suggestions <laughs> you, you can run right through them and
0: Some very mad maxi sounding yeah
1: there's no rules down there so that's where i learned how to drive and um i was driving my sister and brother to high school and yeah it was how many years younger is your brother he's seven years younger he's um he was an accident <laughs> that and was an accident. very sweet little accident yeah. and um yeah He's seven years younger, so it felt like, like I grew up with a really, really young brother, and um, I didn't even, I didn't get to know him that well actually, because I moved out when I was seventeen, and he was ten, and then I, I moved back to the U.S. on my own. My family stayed down there. Was that scary, or were you? No. All about it? Oh my gosh, I was so ready. I I wanted to leave home and grow up when I was like. 10. Mm-hmm. I was ready. Um, but now so now I want to get to know my brother more, but he's busy cuz he's in college and he's doing his own thing. Um, so yeah, I don't have a very close relationship with my brother and sister, but I would love to nurture that.
0: They might come back around.
1: Yeah, for yeah, sure.
0: Just takes time. For sure. So you left home at 17. Your parents were cool with that or? Oh yeah. I went to college cuz that's what I
1: was told I was supposed to do. <laughs> um, what would you study? Um, well, I wanted to do music. I was, I had been writing songs, uh, little ditties on the guitar and singing. I, I wrote poetry, you know, before I can remember. And um, I picked up a guitar that my parents had sitting in the living room in the Dominican, and my dad showed me. D, A, and G. That's all you need. Yeah. And the first cut is the deepest. It's the first song I ever learned on the guitar. And that's easy because it's just those three chords back and forth. And um, so I wanted to do music. I went to Berklee College of Music. has a five-week summer program. And I wanted to go when I was like 14, but I was too afraid. I didn't think I was good enough. And then I saw this Disney movie with Hillary Duff in it. I can't remember what it was called, but she's like a singer and she, um, it was like a zero to hero story. And just watching that movie made me go online and apply for this program and I got accepted. And then I had to convince my parents to let me go to Boston for the summer when I was 16 and stay in co ed dorms, which was really fun (laughs) and um so i i I did that and then i kind of it was great for me because i kind of could i had a gauge to see where i was compared to everybody else that wanted to go to berkeley and i definitely was not the best singer i was just starting out playing guitar and my songwriting was you know i was a baby why do you think they let you in um well that summer program, I think it's it's not too hard to get in. I think it's, as long as you have some musical background and... Mm-hmm. Um, but then I went to Suffolk University for my first year of college because I was convinced by my conditioning that music wasn't something I could make a career of. Everyone in my family is engineers and business people. And, and, um, and I, my uncle, he's very, very, very successful... And I remember him asking me, when I told him I wanted to go to Berkeley, he asked me what my backup plan was. And I, that like rang in my ear, cause I'm like, backup plan? Like, I mean, I just want to do music. And like, we, but everybody, you know, music doesn't make money unless you're a superstar. I don't know, like that's the, that's just like what what we see and what I grew up around. So um, so I was like, okay, yeah, I can't, I can't do music. So I went to Suffolk University and I'm like, I guess I'll do journalism because I love writing. So I went to Suffolk University for one year, but two weeks into class, I called my mom crying because I had been seeing all the Berkeley kids walk by with their guitars on their backs and it's right down the street. And I was just like, I can't do this. I'm not taking notes. All I'm doing is writing lyrics. And I'm not interested in anything but music right now. And at Suffolk I took this this Beatles workshop and I became obsessed with the Beatles and I started writing songs all the time and I just wasn't focused in school at all. So I transferred to Berkeley. I didn't know if I was gonna get in because that year it was really tough. I think a very small percentage of people who applied got in. And I went over there all confident probably played an awful song uh singing playing guitar uh, one of my original songs and i to this day don't know what part of that got me in if it was hopefully it was just the package deal because i'm not the best at anything i'm just like a package deal and i believe in myself and um and i i got in so i transferred there and as soon as i got to berkeley First day I'm in the vocal department because that's that was my strength You have to pick an instrument so guitar vocals definitely vocals was where I had where I shine more and um, and I remember walking in and seeing all of these divas like everyone was has their style they're all like center of attention spotlight singers. And they're doing vocal runs in the bathroom. They all sound like Mariah Carey and Beyonce, and super confident. And I am like this meek like singer songwriter, who like wanted to have a bag over her head and be in the corner and like just you know. I mean, I wanted to do it, but I just I was always afraid of the stage, and not that confident. Um, the confidence was in my songwriting, so. I went to the guitar department and asked to transfer. And um, they kind of like laughed at me. And they were like, um, "Like people that get in here have been playing guitar their whole life. They're like really good. And like, you know, I mean, and I, I just basically knew enough chords to write a song. And, um, but these guys were amused and they said, we don't have a lot of females in the guitar department. So I'll tell you what, if you take this paper right here and you can play us this song tomorrow um you could we'll uh, have you audition for us and uh what was the song i don't know oh. <laughs> it was just, but it was sheet music and yeah. i was like looking at it and i'm like sheet music and a guitar like i i played piano growing up so i like you know kind of knew a little bit about reading music but um but on a guitar like a guitar is like having six pianos that are all lined up in in a different way. so That's a really
0: good way to put it. Yeah, so I'm like
1: looking down at this thing, I'm like, so I just had a little piano and I like, I played it out and I memorized it and then I memorized it on the guitar that night. It was probably up all night and the next day I like hacked my way through this in front of four guys that were probably, you know, really amused, rolling their eyes at me and um they gave me a break they said okay um I'll tell you what we'll we'll let you into the guitar department but you're gonna be level zero um and we're gonna put you in you know the beginner classes and you're gonna have to work really hard and just promise us that you're gonna work really hard and I was like okay and I left and I was like skipping down the street I was so excited and I called my mom and I'm like come on be a guitar major guitar focus or whatever I said and um it was so hard I but I learned so much that year and I got I went I traded in my acoustic guitar for a uh an uh what was it a Stratocaster I guess like Mexican Stratocaster because everybody had electric guitars there and I was the only acoustic and you had to play a lot of scales and a lot of jazz chords and that's kind of hard to do on an acoustic so um yeah i i learned so much that year and at the end of the year my private teacher andy menez i'll never forget his name hi andy if you're listening um (laughs) he sat me down in his office and he said listen kimberly um i don't know how to say this in a nice way but um I guess I'm just trying to say if there's anything else you can do I would go do that and it took me a second to process what he had said and um and I left the office kind of like in a in a trance and then I start walking down the street in Boston back to my house in in back bay a little apartment that I had and um, start bawling on the way back. And I got to my room and, and I remember just being angry, but at the same time, I knew that he just didn't understand my journey. And I knew that I wasn't a good guitar player. I knew that I wasn't an amazing singer, but it was songwriting. That's why, that's why I was there. So um, a trip to Nashville, that year. How old are you at this point? I was nineteen, or about to turn nineteen. I was eighteen, and um, I took a trip to Nashville with Berkeley. They brought down a bunch of kids, two busfuls. So that was really fun.
0: Hmm.
1: Uh, we drove down from Boston to Nashville and just spent a week walking around the music industry, watching uh, recording sessions, watching writing sessions. Taking tours of studios and meeting publishers, and it was so eye-opening. And everybody was like, "I'm gonna move to Nashville when I graduate." And I was like, "Fuck that! I'm moving to Nashville right now." So I, as soon as I got back to Boston, I packed all of my clothes and trash bags, moved. So you
0: quit Berkeley then?
1: Um, yeah, I, I went to Berkeley for one year. Oh, okay. so I finished up Berkeley. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was May, and then. Uh, packed my bags and I moved to Nashville that summer and that was the best thing ever I mean I was so obsessed with Nashville and I had grown up as at a young age listening to some country music but um kind of disowned that part of myself and the Dominican like it was all Latin music it was hip-hop R&B rap that's what I I was like a little gangster (laughs) when I was in the Dominican and um All of my friends were like, were the Dominican kids that had grown up in New York City that spoke English. So I literally was like hanging out with all the little gangsters. And um, I even tried to talk like them. (laughs) And then I went from that to, uh, even in Boston, I hung out with all the black kids because I was so used to being the minority that I I didn't feel like I could relate to all the white kids. So I hung out with all the black kids in uh in college. You look Spanish to me, your
0: face. So uh, I don't know if that Italian Italian, Irish and French. Okay. Uh, the French has got that high cheekbone and Yeah. yeah.
1: I'm 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 definitely a mutt. But um, I feel like I got mutt. most of the Mediterranean yeah. in my look for sure. Wow. Sorry, this story is getting all no. over the place. No, it's
0: great. <laughs> well, What I find fascinating is here you are, you know, you're a teenager. You say, Mom, Dad, I'm going to, I'm taking off. I'm going to go take this summer course. And then you say, okay, I'm going to go get into Berk." I mean, you're a kid. And then just wrapping my head around that, it's fascinating to think that you then at 18 or 17 and a half said, I'm going to move to Nashville. And through all your, this is, these are pretty major life decisions for a young adult, you know, you're not even voting yet, and you think I'll just throw all my crap in some plastic bags and head on down the road. You know, totally. It's we're, pretty extraordinary. We're told, you know,
1: like we're supposed to have it all figured out and know what we want to do and where we want to live and at
0: eighteen. You know, yeah, yeah. It's so
1: young, and um, and it's frustrating looking back and thinking about all the money that my dad <laughs> spent for college. I mean, I'm so grateful for it, but. If I had taken some time to to live my life a little bit more, I feel like that money could have been used a little bit more wisely. Sure. Yeah. And, so um, what
0: happens? You get to Nashville. Is I, it everything you thought it was going to be?
1: Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I, I transferred to Belmont University because I had to go to school. That was just kind of... Um how I was raised. So definitely had to finish school and plus I'm lucky and my dad was paying for my school out of pocket. Um, So I went to Belmont and um, they had just started a songwriting major. So I was a guinea pig for it. I was the first, I think I was the first class to graduate with that. And um, so it's basically a music business degree with the songwriting focus. And so I went from, you know, at Berkeley I was learning technical stuff. I'm learning how to arrange like an orchestra and counterpoint and, and harmony class and all, all. And it was great. It was it was very helpful, but it wasn't what I wanted to learn. I wanted to craft songs. And um, so when I got to Nashville, it was like it was like an epiphany. I was like, oh, my gosh, you can actually make a living writing music and all these people are weird like me, and they want to be behind the scenes. They don't want to be a diva up in the front. Um, songwriters are weird. Like hmm. I felt like I just hmm. fit in. I was like, I found my people. It well, was we're, so we're nice. p-
0: poets, right? We're, we're the weird, geeky poetry person in the corner reading books in general. I don't know that all songwriters are like that, but the yeah. ones I really like are like
1: that. Totally. So I felt like I'd found my people. And um, I went to Belmont for one, or I went, I finished college there, but after my first year, um, I started looking for internships and I wasn't supposed to yet. I don't think I, I started looking early and I was just, you know, gonna tell them that I was getting credit for it, but just turn for the experience. I, I was very impatient and that's been something in my life that I struggle with, but also has gotten me places. So, um, i started asking around for internships and i got one when i was um i was a junior i interned for tom lee's music right on music row like a stone's throw away from belmont university for leslie DiPiero and that was an amazing experience so i'm interning there
0: and um and for those that don't know bob DiPiero, leslie's oh, husband yeah. is a it's like ridiculous number one songwriter gobs and gobs and gobs of songs yes oh my goodness some of the biggest in fact yeah um nice guy too i've met him a couple times super
1: super down to earth and like bob and leslie became like my parents in nashville because i my parents still lived in the dominican republic hmm and you
0: were a kid, so, I mean, what, 19, 18, 19, ish
1: yeah, yeah, I was 20 when I started um, interning for them. I don't them. think
0: I've ever met Leslie, but I hear she's really cool.
1: She's amazing. She was like my mom figure. She's actually the first boss lady figure in my life. I.
0: It's good to have a powerful female role model at that age. Definitely. Especially in a male-dominant industry, right? Totally. And my
1: mom, my mom is such a sweet lady, but she's very... Um, she's, she's, was never assertive and, um, and so it was nice to see that you can, you can, she, she like, Leslie took me under her wing. She showed me all the, the who's who of Nashville. Um, she was brutally honest about everything with me and she taught me like, she showed me that you can be like a nice bitch basically. Cause she's so sweet, and everything that she's saying is coming from a place of love, but it's straight up, like you know. Some if it hurt my feelings, I knew she didn't intend to hurt my feelings. It's just I need to toughen the fuck up, (laughs) and um, (laughs) I'm just so grateful for that that time that I spent with her. And um, so, as an intern, she immediately took a liking to me, and when the office manager moved away, she hired me as the new office catalog manager. So I was a senior in college, also managing a publishing company. And I hired an intern who was my same age in my same class and taught him everything that I learned. And I was learning as I went. Um, I helped I helped with like all the new, the social media and building a website and plugging in the songs. And I got to know all the names of the songwriters and A&R people and, uh, and dabbled in a little bit of song plugging.
0: Um, yeah. To explain what song plugging is for people that don't know. Song
1: plugging is, is when you have a song that you think is good for an artist and you uh, send it to the right people who are planning out their album. So it could be the artist themselves, it could be the A&R people, um, the it's- manager... Yes, it's anyway. very
0: rare for a country artist to write their own material. So these, these songs get pitched by the song pluggers to the p- producers and the artists themselves sometimes or their management or, yeah.
1: Yeah, and I, I really had an awesome experience there. And then, so I went from intern to managing the catalog in the office. And then I graduated, and upon graduation... She asked, uh, she found out that I was a songwriter as well through somebody else, which was perfect because I wasn't going to be like, hey, by the way, I'm a songwriter. Look at me. Like, because I'm kind of, it was a conflict of interest. Um, but, uh, but the woman who, Victoria, who was upstairs in the office, she had her own own company. Victoria Shaw. Yeah, Victoria yeah. Shaw. She's an amazing woman as yeah, well. Yeah, wrote a bunch of Garth Brooks hits and... Yeah. You were running around with some heavy hitters. Yes. Yeah. I I love Victoria too. She's, she's such a, a sweet woman. lady. Strong. Yes. I was she surrounded by no, boss ladies. Yeah, she it. takes
0: no BS. She's, <laughs> she's baller for sure.
1: Yes. And <laughs> but she had heard a couple of my songs and was like, Leslie, have you heard this this girl's music? And and then when she heard it, um she offered me a Leslie no. Leslie offered me a a baby songwriter deal basically um publishing deal exclusive writer contract the reason everybody moves to Nashville so I I I'm a manifester like that's my human um design I'm a manifester and like my whole life I swear I get what I want I always get what I want whether it's a positive or a negative thing it's like subconsciously I I I have my eyes on something and it always comes, and um, so yeah, everything everything in my life works out the way that I want it to. And then sometimes I get something and then and then I don't want it anymore. So because we've got to try things out, you know, we figure out who we are by figuring out who, who we're, we're not. not. Exactly. Yeah. So um, I got this publishing deal and I was so happy. I also had been dating a. Uh, an amazing songwriter, producer, Dave Thompson, D'Wave. And um, we, we had dated for a couple years and I thought I wanted to get married. And I, I wanted to do everything. Like I wanted to be, I just wanted my life to be that, that American, that perfect dream, you know, at the white picket fence. and um, And I wanted it now. So,
0: birth your veruca salt <laughs> i graduated
1: <laughs> and i got um i got proposed to because that's what i wanted and i got published in you because that's what i wanted um we had bought a house in nashville because that's what i wanted and it was i remember just being in pure bliss that year like everything was perfect i was like floating in the air just like so happy 22 ish 21 21. No, 21 is when I... Maybe I was 22. Okay, well, 21 or 22. Sure. 22. Let's say 22.
0: (laughs) So you got married.
1: Uh, Yeah, so then I got married, yeah. And I got married, and I signed a publishing deal, and I had the house, and I had two dogs, white picket fence, home studio, um, very, like, Dave was my best friend, and we, I learned so much from him and um and i loved our life that we had and then um slowly i i i got so wrapped up in the who's who of nashville um i started partying a lot um it comes with the deal yeah mm. but i i kind of went crazy like i i I had never taken those years to fuck off and just go party because I wanted to grow up so fast. So, you know, when people went away spring break in Cancun and all that, I was like, that looks fun. Like, I want to do that. But I, like, I never did anything like that. I just kind of took life seriously. And um, so when I started partying, I started partying really hard. Um, And... I was hanging out with all the right people and getting invited to the right shows and the right parties. And, um, I started acting out and misbehaving and I, what does that mean? Oh man. I mean, (sighs) well, Dave didn't like to party. He had done that for years. He was in a boy band what boy? can you say? <laughs> it's called Wave in Canada. They had a number one and a number two and a couple number twos, I think. Is he older than you? Yes, he's eight years older.
0: So and he had already done all this yes, stuff. Yes,
1: he had partied hard for years and was ready to, like, you know, work hard. Like, where I'm at right now, I, like, I just want to drink tea and work on my purpose. <laughs> but um, he... Uh, he wanted to work hard and focus, and I was like young party girl, just you know, entering the music industry at the parties. Keith Urban's there, and like all- Miranda Lambert, and like I'm at parties with all these people. Reba, like I- I'm at a party with Reba, <laughs> and like I grew up listening to her as a as a child. So all these parties and situations I was in, there was definitely drugs. There was limousines with cocaine, and there was you know I was I was in the perfect place if you want to make it in the music industry. Um, I just I got invited to do shows that I would have never. I wasn't good enough to do these shows. I was opening for for people
0: with record deals, and because you were doing coke with them in the limos. Yes, I
1: was just like doing the right things to line up to be in the right situations that I thought were going to get me where I wanted to go and then I wasn't I stopped writing good songs and I for me my songs my good songs are the ones that came from my heart from like from my soul where I was and I'm just speaking my truth those are my good songs and then here I am in Nashville trying to write the songs that I'm hearing on the radio mm. about trucks and whatever <laughs> I just like was trying and the more I try to the more I tried to 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 fit that mold, um, the more I lost my soul. And I would turn songs in to Leslie, and she'd be like, this is great, but this is a KJ song. Like, no one else is going to sing this song. It's This is like,
0: you know, it's When you were it's writing cute, from your but... truth, you mean, or when you were... Well, yeah. I mean... So that's an interesting conundrum. When you write your truth, it, it's your truth, and and as a national songwriter, we're supposed to write other people's, not quite truth.
1: Yeah. Well, you're, I mean, because it's, it
0: has to be this universal. Yeah, song, universal. So and it's got to have vague truth in it, but more vague traits. Yeah. 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 Totally. So how is your marriage handling this? You being in a party girl, your meteor, meteor. I can't say it. The meteor of your self going. Why can't I say that word? Meteoric. That that (laughs) sounds so weird coming out of my mouth. It sounds like too sophisticated for me. I guess. Yeah. Anyway, the (laughs) fact that your your pony was hitched to the right horse train. How about that? (laughs) I don't even know what the hell that means. It doesn't matter. Uh, What was happening? You were coming home late. I mean, what what was going on at home while you were doing this?
1: Well, um, I started living a double life, and I. I always felt so connected to a higher power, to my higher self or God or whatever you want to call it. I wrote in my journal all the time. I touched base with myself all the time to make sure that I was doing what felt right to me. And I stopped doing that. <laughs> um, I, I avoided myself and my truth because something didn't feel right, And I, but I didn't, I didn't know what it was, and I didn't want to face it because I would, had already built this life. And, it, and your ego
0: was probably feeling
1: awesome. Yeah. Oh, it, totally. My ego was feeling great. Um, <laughs> but uh, I I lost my soul in Nashville. Holy shit. Like, <laughs> I really did. And um, so I'd come home, you know, at 2 in the morning after partying and sleep till noon. And he was working hard. And we just kind of went separate ways emotionally. We stopped sleeping together. I mean, after one year of marriage, it would be like two weeks and we'd be like, we should probably have sex soon, right? Um, yeah, but like neither we just weren't into it. Um, and then, uh, so I start acting out a lot and a year after we had been married, my grandmother actually passed away on our first wedding anniversary. And she was my closest grandparent. Um, I have this rose tattoo on my wrist for her. We called her Mimi, and um, she she's uh, very spiritual. And she was—I didn't know this. She was a Reiki master, but she's also Catholic, which some people might think is a, uh, you know, contradictory. Um, but she's very spiritual, and um, I felt so connected to her. And she died on our first year anniversary. And um, later on that summer, um, I spent a couple weeks in Maine by myself. My parents were there. They were about to go back to Michigan. They moved from Dominican to Michigan. And, um, and I was just there hanging out, partying with some friends uh, at this bar, hometown bar. And I ran into my friend Renee who I hadn't seen in years and we had this giant hug and it was like old times. She was my partner in crime for lots of summers when I was young. Uh, We got into our own share of trouble together and um, she expressed to me that she was angry that she wasn't, a. at the time she was angry and confused that she wasn't in my wedding and I had grown away from her because she was my partner in crime that I got in trouble with and I was trying to be a good girl
0: with, so, you go to Nashville and do cookies and Yeah, lim- oh
1: yeah. It's so weird. I like, I tried to suppress a part of myself. I have a wild, crazy self. And, you know, and then I also have my, like, my calm, my sweet side. I'm a Gemini. There's definitely two sides of me. And I, um, so I, to be with Dave, there, were, he expressed early on that he didn't like my crazy side. And, um, you know, he, he's like, I don't want to get involved with a younger, crazy girl who's just going to run away. And so I wanted to be with him. So I suppressed the side of me, all of my craziness. Like I hid it. I just wanted to be like a normal person so that I could fit with him. And then when I, so that's why I pushed Renee away. Cause she was like, she was, she fit in with my crazy side. And then when I saw her again, all of my crazy came back out. And I was like, my old self again. I was like, oh, my God. Like, we just, we drank. We did some cocaine that night, which I hadn't touched um, in a little while. And um, she brought out the side of me where, you know, I felt like I was a kid again, just partying. And, um, <laughs> oh, my goodness, this is a crazy story I'm about to tell. Um, <laughs> so this is one year into my marriage, Renee and I partying in my hometown, do some cocaine, um, drink lots of vodka. And it's like, we get to my parents' house. We open up a really expensive bottle of wine. We're already blacked out drunk. And we drank like a really nice bottle of wine sitting on the counter, just swigging right out of the bottle back and forth. And then we decide we want to go on a jet ski ride. And it's like, Two or three in the morning at this point. And we're running down the yard, like laughing, ripping all of our clothes off, completely naked. We get on the jet ski and we ride out full moon onto the, onto the lake. And um, we get out to the middle of the lake and it's like so beautiful. And we're laughing and we're so happy to be reunited after this time of not hanging out years. And uh, we jump off to go skinny dipping and we're swimming around in the water, and then I like was so fucked up that I just like couldn't see the jet ski anymore, and I thought that it was in one direction, and she's telling me it was in another direction, and I'm like, no, it's over here, and I start swimming away from the jet ski, and she's just like, she's like, KJ, hey, it's over this way, and she's calling at me, and then I'm swimming away, but then I start getting really tired because I'm, coming down, I mean, not coming down, I'm, who knows? I've been drinking and coking up, and I, my heart's racing, and I like couldn't swim anymore. So she comes, and she's holding me up because I'm about to drown. And we're in the middle of the lake. And it was fucking scary. And she starts screaming, or I start screaming, and then, and then she starts screaming. So there's two naked Jesus. girls in the middle of the lake screaming for help, because I couldn't tread water anymore. And we didn't know where the jet ski was at this point. And so a fisherman wakes up to go fishing in the morning. It was probably four four or five in the morning at this point. And he comes out and is like, oh my gosh, are you guys okay? He doesn't know we're naked, pulls us up on the boat. And we're both just like, oh my God, thank God. And we're like on his boat naked. And he just got up to go fishing and he found us. and then by the time we're on his boat, he's taking us back to my house. And the warden, the boat cops, they had got radioed that we were screaming. And he came up to the boat and was like, are you ladies? Okay. What's going on over here? And we are covered up with life jackets. And, um, I was so fucked up that I was just wanted, I just was like, wanting to tell the story, you know, like cocaine, you just want to like tell everybody everything. I was like, well, we were driving my jet ski and then we lost it and blah, blah, blah. And Renee's like, shut the fuck up. Like, what are you doing? And he's like, wait, you were driving a jet ski? And I was like, yeah, yeah, but we lost it. And I'm like, I'm just fucked up. I don't even know. And so he's like, okay, this we're gonna need you to come onto our boat, and I was like, "What? No! Like, I'm not like I'm thinking. Oh no, I'm in trouble." So, all crazy coked out KJ decides to jump off the boat and start swimming. I I can't even I can't make excuses for this girl. I literally can't. Like, I don't know who I was. I was so fucked up, and I um, apparently start trying to swim away and then renee's like what the fuck are you doing get back on the boat get on the boat finally like go over to the police boat and i'm giving them such a hard time i'm like yelling at all of them i was like cursing them out and i just wanted to go home um, and they took renee back to my house and they took me into the station and when I got back to shore, too, there was like every cop from towns over, we're all standing on the shore waiting to see these two naked, fucked up girls. Jesus. Oh my God. And oh my God. <laughs> I know. So, this is the lowest point of my life, like, lowest point of my life. And I go into the station. I remember I had a, like a fireman jacket on me that was like 100 pounds because that was like the only thing they could find to cover me up and I'm sitting there in the station and this officer calls Dave in Nashville and it's like, it's six in the morning and is like, we have your wife here at the station. She has no clothes and and we're gonna need like a bail to bail to get her out. And um, I think it was like 800 bucks or something like that to get me out and Dave is just, in Nashville, like, what the fuck? My wife is in jail, naked, in Maine. And he's already, like, been ashamed of every wild part of me. Like, he he didn't like when I got tattoos. And if I, you know, said something blunt at a party, he'd be embarrassed by me. And I, you know, so at this point... Do you
0: he- think a part of you was... Trying to push him over the edge so he could get out? Because when we don't get to be who we are, like you clearly have a lot of tattoos. <laughs> if you're married to someone who doesn't like you getting tattoos, I would imagine that even subconsciously you would start to buck against that. For sure. For sure. Um, I
1: think at this point I was still thinking it was going to work with us. Um, this was one year in. But this is the turning point. This day was the turning point. Was my mom shows up at the station at eight o'clock in the morning. She told me that I looked like the girl from The Exorcist. Cause I had been crying and I had like black mascara all around my eyes. And I was fucked up. I hadn't slept and I was probably still drunk, still coked out, almost drowned. And like I looked like a drowned rat exorcist girl <laughs> like i was like so bad and she she was just like she felt like she had failed at a par- as a parent but then at the same time she was happy that i was okay and she was so angry like she she came to bail me out but they would only accept cash so she had to go all the way back home she went to the atm took out the max that she was allowed to take out and then went home woke up my little brother so he could count dollar bills of his tips and contribute to bailing me out. And (laughs) so when she finally comes back, she said she made me wait a little extra time on purpose because she wanted to punish me a little bit. And then I'm like sitting there in the car. It was like the ride of the ultimate ride of shame, sitting in the passenger seat. And um, we get to my house and my dad is just standing there looking at me and I couldn't look anybody in the eye. I just gave him a hug and I walked into the house and I crawled into a hole (laughs) and slept for probably a day and a half or something. And um, when I woke up, my parents had, were about to leave to go back to Michigan. They just came in, said goodbye and they left. And like, we never really spoke about it again. And they, cause they, they, you know, they were happy I was okay and they were ashamed but they also knew that I was completely ashamed and they didn't want to rub it in so um I spent two or three days in that house just like trying to collect myself and like figure out what was going on with me why would I act out that way um why wasn't I really happy deep down and like 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 it felt so good to be reconnected with my friend Renee, even though she was like a bad influence. <laughs> she was always the one that brought out that crazy side of me, and um, but I missed that side of me. And that was the that was like when I got a taste of that side of me, I was like, oh my god, like I know that it got me in trouble, but like this is a part of who I am. I like to I like to party. I like to try new things, and I like to act out, and I like to you know to just be crazy sometimes and be wild. And um, I wasn't allowed to do that for so long. So when that happened, um, I this is another awful part of the story that Dave doesn't know, and here it is. Um, I, a few days later, um, was hanging out in town in my hometown in Maine and ran into a guy that I'd hooked up with when I was like, 18 years old and we had some amazing chemistry but we hooked up one time and never again and I ran into him at the bar and Dave and I had not touched each other in so long Dave he was such an amazing guy but he didn't give me compliments and he didn't you know we didn't have a strong physical connection I didn't feel like he was in love with me and um was he in love with you or was it just something that you I felt? I think we both kind of, it worked. We were friends and it worked. It was like a business relationship. You know what I mean? It, it worked. Um, but we weren't in love with each other. Like we weren't, you know, holding hands and we weren't doing all the things that I didn't realize I was missing um, until I saw this guy and this is three days after the awful jet ski incident and I saw him and he listened to, I poured out my heart and soul to this guy and, um, and next thing you know, we're back at my house and we start making out and we hooked up and it was like chemistry that I hadn't felt in so long that I forgot existed and so cheating on Dave a year into our marriage flipped my world upside down made me realize that I was settling for something that I mean I I couldn't live without without that chemistry that I had felt with this person I couldn't I was like fuck it was like it was it's like once you know something, you can't unsee it, you know, once you see something. So I I was like, fuck, what am I going to do? And I knew, first of all, I was already in the doghouse. I'd just been arrested. And um, and then I cheated on him. And I felt like I, I mean, that, that was rock bottom. Like, I got back to Nashville. I couldn't look him in the face. And I just started going to hike at Radnor Lake all the time. And that was that was me. The beginning of me really, really partying. Like that whole year, I knew I needed to get divorced. But I had just had a wedding with 180 of the people that loved us. um, You know that all showed up there for us and made vows. And a year in, I knew that I had to get divorced. And I tried everything to avoid it. I was reading a book called Surrendering to Marriage. I was trying to, I know, seriously, oh, Surrendering to Marriage, yeah. And I was just trying, I was like, no, I I, married this person and I'm going to stay with them. And I kept trying to convince myself that this was going to work and that I just needed to get right with myself. And like... But you started partying more? But then I started, yeah, I started partying like every opportunity I got to I was like playing naked twister with like music business executives I was like just partying 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 all the right places all the right people music industry and um and uh that whole year I was 24 years old that entire year is a blur I stopped turning in songs for my publishing deal because I couldn't write anymore um and I asked to be let out of my deal because I just didn't, I wasn't feeling it. I was like, my soul was gone. I was like just going through the motions and partying and sleeping in. And it was a whole year of me being just completely miserable. And um,
0: Miserable and getting exactly what you wanted at the same time. Yeah. It's a very confusing place know, to on be. On the
1: outside, it looked like I was stoked on life. But I was like crying myself to sleep. I was taking bubble baths. And Dave used to come in and join me in the bubble baths. And then that year I wouldn't let him anymore. He'd knock on the door and I'd be like, I need this bath for myself. And I would smoke weed every day so that I wouldn't have to like face my feelings. Smoke weed, be like, everything's okay. And sit in the bathtub and go on hikes and cry a lot. And I confided in my best friends, um, Danny and Megan and Jesse Lee and um and finally when I had just turned 25 I was a pile of shit that was like not getting out of bed until noon every day and Dave walked over to the bed and he said what's wrong with you like you're just you you just lay here and you, you seem so unhappy and you're you, you know you party all night and then you just lay here in bed and I just turned to him and I said, I'm happier by myself than when I'm with you. And he said, you've gotta be fucking kidding me. And he kicked a hole through <laughs> the bedroom door and I threw a bunch of clothes in a hamper and got in my car and left and never came back. And I went to Danny's house Danny Myrick's house and um I stayed in his guest bedroom and I cried for a week but it was like at the same time I felt so relieved because it was the first time I had really like spoken my truth and stood up for my soul and so it was like the tears I was crying were for Dave and for hurting him and for hurting I mean you know my 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 parents spending 30 grand on our wedding that was one thing but like that's just money but like the what hurt the most was hurting dave hurting his family um you know and bringing everybody on this journey and then letting everyone down and cuz i'm the one who facilitated everything i wanted to get married i planned the whole thing and then i and then i was like not happy and so that was the hardest part my ego was Fucking destroyed, non-existent. I was like, I sabotaged my publishing deal, which just wasn't a good fit for me in hindsight. And so I, I don't, I didn't give Leslie enough gratitude either. I mean, I, I left feeling bitter about it, and all she was trying to do was help me. But I just felt hin- like my creativity was hindered, and I like couldn't be myself, and it just wasn't a right fit. I'm not a commercial songwriter. I mean. I, I write my own songs, and I write some pretty commercial songs, but that's not, like, being a commercial songwriter is not for me. And It's a different mindset, for sure. Yeah. And um, so anyways, this whole, that was my divorce, 25, 25 years old. I stayed with him for an extra year. Um, he's Canadian, um, so we stayed married because he had built this life in Nashville and would have had to go back to Canada if I divorced him and I was, I still love him as a person and care about him. And of course didn't want to hurt him anymore. Um, I didn't ask for a penny. I just like, like left the house to him and he didn't want to split up the dogs. We had two really cute dogs and they're still together, brother and sister. And he has them and they're, I miss them a lot. Um, But yeah, that whole chapter of my life i left behind and i uh went out to hawaii to find some healing because you had friends
0: there or you just said that my seems- friend
1: renee the the one the jet ski renee <laughs> she happened to live out in hawaii she moved out there to to train dolphins she went to school for uh, marine biology and uh she found fell in love and she had been there for a couple of years and she's like you have to come out you'll love it so
0: much were you worried about that if she was Jet ski, Renee No you because would...
1: I was ready for that. I was you ready, ready for to an party escape more or... Yeah. Oh,
0: I see. Okay. Yeah. I was
1: I was ready to escape like I just had heavy feelings about this divorce but then I also felt free to be myself again for the first time. I was like just happy to be free to do whatever I want and nobody to answer to and I didn't have a publisher and I didn't have I I went I started waiting tables again and that
0: first first
1: in Nashville so I could save money to go to Hawaii um but that was crazy because I went from like partying with all these people and having a publishing deal to waiting on them so like surreal certain people would come in and they're like oh you work here now and I'm like yeah hi like can I get you a drink like
0: and what's strange about that too, of course, is the ego is so fragile in Nashville that to go from the party girl to suddenly the serving girl, it they paint you into this corner that you will not escape from, it seems, you know?
1: Yeah. Totally. Um, that must have been so weird. It was. But I at the same time, I'm resilient and like I know the difference between internal and external power
0: and but they it, might not
1: no they don't and <laughs> i don't care i don't care honestly yeah. after that experience in nashville money m- like financial success and commercial success does not impress me right at all like i've seen it well, all it's i've not seen not the that biggest impressive. the biggest losers in the it, world exactly that have all this money and have all these hit songs and stuff like
0: that are just act are just and they're losers. miserable and they're like empty well, lose, loser is a that's a Sorry. judgment call but it's, it's certainly yes. Yes. they are they are empty and and some soul, of them yeah. and then some, and of, them some are, of them are some of them are so people.
1: some of them are wholehearted and amazing yeah, and deserve everything that they absolutely. have absolutely
0: you know i mean we all deserve what we have but absolute power corrupts absolutely very few people um can avoid the trap of the ego yeah i mean even in regular life it's extraordinarily difficult to avoid our egos they're they're waiting at the door the minute you wake up are you are you up you piece of shit or are you up you're so awesome you're better than everyone are you up you know what i mean it's it's that constant annoying yeah voice. that
1: voice in your head which i finally learned the difference you know it mm-hmm. took a really long time um and um. Uh, yeah i i've been reading all these books about it that book uh breaking the habit of being yourself by joe dispensa that book saved my life a few years ago i was going through i think it was four years ago i read this book while i was going through an awful breakup asshole i dated after dave um
0: <laughs> oh man i'll put it on the links page for sure. <laughs> so what happened when you got yeah. to hawaii you just took a bag of shit and said, I'm going to go to it out. I took a suitcase and a guitar
1: and I was like, all right, I quit music. Getting to Hawaii made me see Nashville from the outside in. And I realized that I had been living in this bubble. And I thought I would never leave Nashville. I thought that was my life. Like all of my friends were in the music industry. My ex-husband was in the music industry. So my whole life, everything I talked about and every thing I lived for five years straight was music industry and then um and then when I got to Hawaii and I realized how small that was in the grand scheme of the world it was like the biggest weight off my shoulders I was like skipping around just like so happy and light and free feeling and I was like holy shit there's fruit growing on the trees and there's you know it's bright and sunny every day and this water is Is crystal clear and turquoise blue. And I just was so happy to be in that environment. And I thought I would go there for a month maybe. And um, another, another detail is my intern when I was working at Tom Lee's music um, was Hawaiian. And so he was another reason for me to go visit Hawaii. So when I first got to Hawaii, I went to Honolulu for two weeks and I stayed with him and his family and his I shared uh, the downstairs basement with his 88 year old Filipino grandmother who barely spoke any English and she was so sweet and um, she'd like make me food all the time. I'd be like hungover and she'd come put a cheeseburger next to me, like in bed. And I'm like, I'm looking at it like I'm going to puke and she's just like, no, you eat, you eat, eat. And I'm like, o- okay, thank you. And I'm, like, that was my introduction to Hawaii. And I partied in Honolulu for two weeks and um, I realized it was just more of the same. Like it was just another city and I wanted something different. Um, So I went to the big island to go visit my friend Renee. And uh, as soon as I landed in Kona, I knew, like it was nighttime, so I couldn't even see the island. But as soon as I landed there, I just knew that was where I was supposed to be. And I was gonna stay there for a little while at least So, um, when I got to Kona, that was my belly. I don't know if you could hear that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, when I got to Kona, um, I stayed in an Airbnb by the beach. And first thing I did was go to Target and buy a fan because Hawaii in July is pretty unbearable. And I went to a, a, like a smoke shop and I bought a little bong and that was the beginning of my Hawaii adventure um, I started learning how to play uh, a lot of like the local music on guitar way different and way cooler for me than anything that was I had learned in Nashville you know I, everyone's strumming these country songs and in Hawaii everything's got such a you know an island feel and um, that's what I grew up around in the Dominican Republic so it just felt re- it felt right and so I, it changed the way I play guitar uh, I started I started waiting tables there until I got uh, enough gigs that I didn't have to wait tables. That took about five months, four, four or five months. And um, Gigs,
0: playing music.
1: Yeah, playing music. And I started playing cover gigs all over the place. And that's what I've been doing for six years. And it's slowly uh, morphed into me playing more artist gigs and writing a lot more. And now I'm spending a lot of time in L.A. back and forth.
0: Well, so... Th- you spent six years playing cover songs and doing that and becoming ingrained in the island life but you said that that first year you were going nuts so what in hawaii so what was the catalyst to you not doing that anymore well (laughs) i I assume you were with renee partying. yeah, yeah i was
1: um you know it's funny um people go to hawaii for to like Some people just go, you know, for like a nice family vacation, which is perfect. That's what Hawaii is all about. But if you're going to look for a party, you're not going to find it unless you're creating your own party or you're in Honolulu. But um, everybody goes to bed early and wakes up early because it's just, it's the lifestyle. It's beautiful, it's healthy, there's fresh fruits and vegetables everywhere. And like that place saved me. Like, so I first got out there. I moved in with Renee and this uh, and her boyfriend's brother and uh, this guy named Sean, who um, I ended up dating. And that group of people likes to party, and so I was partying with them a lot. But I also kind of wanted to chill out and you know immerse myself in the island lifestyle. So um, I partied for for a couple a couple months with them and then I moved into my own little cottage up in a little town called Halualoa which is where I actually live now. I have a house there now. But uh that was the part of the island that felt like home to me when I first got there. I just I drove through this little mountain town and I was like, "What is this place?" I couldn't even say it for the name of the town, Halualoa. But for a while I was like, "You know that that Halala town, you know?" <laughs> and um and I had this cute little cottage and um, and uh, just tried to chill out and um, was distancing myself from the party scene. And um, but I dated this guy, started dating this guy named Sean, and um, he he was the first guy I had ever dated who I was very physically attracted to, like extremely physically attracted to and he would take me on like real dates and sweat me off my feet and was very charming but also kind of an asshole and you know when guys like will insult you to try and hit on you he'd be like i see what you're trying to do there with that outfit but it's not really working for you and, like, he'd say things like that, and it would, like, hurt my feelings, but then it would also, in a weird, manipulative way, it made me want to, like... That sounds toxic. ...please him. It was <laughs> extremely toxic. That's the perfect word for it. So I was in this toxic relationship for a year, and um, and we were just... We're looking for a dead body outside or something. <laughs> I know. Helicopters flying by, and... L.A. for you. Mm. And, um... But anyways, you're in this toxic relationship. And at that time in my life, I was the worst person that I had ever been, you know. Uh, so sure you thought been... you deserved this. Yeah, so it was actually the perfect thing that I needed to see the things I should change about myself. Um, he was like a mirror reflection of all the things I needed to change about myself. He, he was, you know, I feel bad. I don't want him to hear this now, but... <laughs> He he knows it I'm gonna shut that window. So yeah, I was in this toxic relationship that really cracked me open um, you know all the the dishonesty that I that I um, I, was, I was I was a dishonest person for a little while and he he kind of showed me how it feels to be on the other side of that and after our tumultuous relationship. Um, why, uh, does they,
0: why do they always come with such good sex? I never will understand that. Uh, it's the passion. It's the, you it know, is the passion. I'm actually
1: it reading this book right now up. called Mating in Captivity. And it's it's like, you know, it's a, it's a correlation with um, mystery. Like when you first meet somebody and you're not certain about them or whether it's going to last, um, that's when the sex is really good. And then when you have that security and that safety and that comfort, the... Uh, The passion can die away so that's
0: the wild animal in us that's our reptilian brain still kicking in
1: totally so yeah we had a very very strong physical connection um but in hindsight he didn't know how to connect on a deeper level you know it was like it was all physical but like making love wasn't wasn't in the in the cards with that with that guy and um so I went from one extreme to the other. <laughs> and then um, but th- but you're that the,
0: you're the human pendulum, I yes, guess, right? Yes. <laughs> yes, I'm trying
1: slowly like settling in somewhere in the middle. But um <laughs> um yeah, that was that was a crazy time and it kind of cracked me open and all these experiences keep cracking me open and I um I now you know, feel like I have a really good idea of what what love looks like, what my version of love looks like, and um and um, I'm grateful for that experience. And it was really, really hard to get through. I lost my soul in that relationship.
0: With Sean. With Sean. And with Dave. It yeah, like. totally. I lost myself for some years. Like. You said that you weren't. I remember we, when we got together the other morning, you said that you were just not a good person. And I wasn't sure what you meant by that. Yeah,
1: I wasn't being honest with myself, but I, I was like, I was just like a lost little girl for, from like 24, 24 to like 26, for two years. I'd say I was completely lost and crazy. And I had a lot of fun. (laughs) But um, when I was 26, turning 27, I was really searching deep inside myself for answers because I was tired of feeling fucked up. I was tired of running from my problems. I was tired of drinking and reaching for all these external things to try and fill this hole I was feeling inside. And so I moved to Honolulu away from Kona the quiet island cuz i just needed to get away from that relationship we were going back and forth just you know we'd try to get back together and then we we just hurt each other over and over and over and then eventually he found somebody else and that really hurt me um even though i didn't want to be with him him moving on just like was like a knife into my chest and then um so all this, all these ego problems, <laughs> damn ego. And then uh, that's when I moved to Honolulu and I basically quit drinking. I didn't have any friends there, so I was forced to go inward. And I, um, I ate very lightly. I was almost fasting sometimes just because I felt like I didn't want food and, um, and my brain was clear when I didn't eat and drink. And I found myself in a new way after I read that book, uh, Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself by Joe Dispenza. There's a chart in that book that had you know um, when you're when you, your thoughts and your feelings and your actions are all aligned. That's when you're an aligned person, you know, and that's when you're able to manifest and you're able to you know move move along smoothly and um i had never thought like seen that before i'd never thought about that i've never like i remember watching the secret with an ex-boyfriend when i was younger and he was so into it and i didn't get it i was like i don't understand any of this and i just wasn't ready and when i read this book there's a million books with the same concept you know but this was the one that resonated with me and i was like oh okay like I would read a chapter and then I would journal about it. And I was like, I wanted to get it. Like I was so, I was ready for anything. So I really wanted to understand this. So I'd read pages over and over and just until I got it. And then, um, and that completely changed me. Those six months in Honolulu, um, I stopped. I mean, I played some gigs, but I got my real estate license because, you know, my whole life, Blew up in my face. I was just like, like maybe music's not gonna be, you know, what's gonna make me money, and maybe I should get my real estate license. And I'm a smart girl. I've always been book smart. I got my real estate license like that. It just, I I read the books and took the test and passed on the first try. And I start. I got a job selling timeshare, which I didn't want to do, but I just had like a basically a free in to this company in uh, Honolulu. And so I just took it, cause it was like right there in front of me. And I hated it. And I felt like a slimy salesperson and that's just not who I am. And I wasn't good at, I mean, I sold a few of them and I didn't feel good about them. And I'm the kind of person that just wants to give you the facts. And if I don't think it's for you, I'm gonna be honest. Like there was some old couples that came in and I was like, you know guys, like. Have you ever seen Airbnb? <laughs> like,
0: yeah. Yeah, I, just,
1: I wasn't good at it, because I can't lie to people. I tried to
0: tell my parents about Airbnb, but they insisted on getting a thing. And I'm like, oh.
1: uh, It works for some people, I, I guess, you know? Things. But I just- I think
0: it preys on old people, but that's just me.
1: For sure. Yeah. And, and yeah, I just couldn't do it. So I did that for two months, and then I was like, fuck this, I'm going back to music. <laughs> every time I, uh, I stray away from music, my life falls apart. And every time I get back to just focusing on music, everything is going right it's so crazy when you just focus on your passion and your contribution to the world and what what lights you up
0: and like I don't think about money I don't think about because it's anything. not I know it's so cliche to say that nowadays but it's really not what's important yes it's nice to have health care and a roof over your head and food obviously the basics are important but the idea of what does richness mean? What does success mean? And I think that we are sold a bill bill of goods, that richness means you know the fast car in the driveway and the eight million rooms in the house and all that. But I think that I've been in billionaires' homes. There's a a chill in the air. I've been in homes where people have maybe making thirty five thousand dollars a year. And it just feels like a house of love. And there's art and music flowing and things like that. So I don't think money is the thing.
1: No, it's not. And, and it's funny too. Like The less I stress about money and focus on music, the money just comes. Right.
0: Because you've, you've changed your relationship with it. Totally. It's, it's sort of like dating. If you, like a guy and you're constantly calling him and texting him or whatever, the guy's not gonna be that interested in you probably because it's just not how it works, right? Just like when guys are cramming down your throat, you're like, yeah, not so much. No, if you're
1: out looking for dudes all the time, you're not gonna
0: find them. Right, you just have to focus side, on I yourself. I feel like money is just <laughs> like that. Money is just like any relationship that if you're constantly obsessed with it, it's going to be more of the elusive yeti, you know? Totally. I know there's probably a ton of people going, that's a bunch of (laughs) hoo-woo-woo bullshit. But Uh, for me, it works that way, I feel like.
1: It's like the law of attraction kind of thing. If you you focus on what you uh, focus on, on your lacks, on your lack, then, you know, you're just emphasizing it. And Mm -hmm. if you can just focus on the feeling of having it, like, like the feeling of having the money and being okay and having everything that you need, then um, then you'll attract more.
0: Yeah. I believe that very much, though. So. For sure. So where were we? Well, well, I mean, so I think we're coming to the, to where you are now. So you started...
1: Yeah, oh, yoga. Okay, and... so that same time that I moved to Honolulu, this is a very important thing. Um, that summer changed my life because I, you know, I read the books, I just quit drinking, I just became like healthy i i committed to fixing myself like rock bottom i have i've hit so many rock bottoms and somehow still just been like fuck it toast like cheers you know just just drinking to it and i i'm like okay i'm so done with being here on the bottom like i want to i'm i'm done like i need to i need i need to fix myself i need i want to feel better like i genuinely was done and I surrendered to, you know, I was like on my knees. <laughs> I was like praying and I like I've never, you know, I don't believe in like the the Christian, the Christian, you know, religion necessarily. I was raised Catholic with all that guilt and shame. Um, but I um, I believe in a higher power and I believe in my higher self and the higher consciousness and spirit. And um, and so I, I came to this point where I was just praying and I was like, I, I have nothing left. Like I am, I don't know who I am anymore. I I was starting all over, you know, in this new city in Honolulu. And um, my friend had introduced me to yoga because I was a pile of shit crying on his floor. Um, my birthday, it was my 27th birthday, I think. Yeah, 27th birthday. And uh, the, he, we both woke up, hung over after a crazy ass party, super fun party. We like all microdosed on mushrooms and had a big pool party, and everyone was naked. And it was, I mean, so partying is not wrong. I want to say that because that part of myself that you know, I've that crazy part of me that I tried to hinder and and push away, that's a part of me that I love and enjoy and I have found my tribe of people who also love and enjoy that in a way that we're not betraying ourselves. You found the balance too. Yeah. Like we can party in a in a way that's like aligned with ourselves and loving, and I have so many amazing friends and we don't, we're do not we not judging each other, we're just like, we're all having an amazing time, but nobody's cheating on anybody and nobody's cheating on themselves and everyone's just doing what feels good and when it's time to go, they leave. It's like, there's nothing wrong with that. We like to have a good time. And I'm never gonna like try and change that and hide parts of myself for anybody again. I'm just, I gotta be myself. You know, <laughs> yeah,
0: I shoot the representative dead in the head, send the representative home, <laughs> no more representatives, just be who you are. Yes. And the thing is, is, is if we spend all this time in our relationships with our representative, asking, or acting as our proxy, then how will we ever be happy because we'll never feel safe to just be because you're always waiting for, oh my god, this is the day that I do this and the other person decides they don't love me well just do who you are from the get-go if that person decides that you're not the one they want to love great you've not wasted anyone's time especially your own totally all right it's again it's that self-worth and shame and all that stuff is tied in but yeah shoot that fucking representative dead in the (laughs) eye bury them in the backyard and be you totally fully 100 percent
1: Totally. I listen to a lot of YouTube videos, uh, Teal Swan, she's awesome, but just, I'll put links on there. Yeah. Teal Swan. I listen to all her YouTube videos and, um, she's just a very, she's like intuitive and, um, talks about relationships and, and, uh, she's, I would
0: never guess a person named Teal Swan was an intuitive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> she's awesome. Um, and then I also listen to a lot of Abraham Hicks. Mm. If I wake up in a grumpy mood, mm. I just put on one of the YouTube videos and listen to it. And then I'm like, oh yes, it's my choice to be happy. It's Absolutely. my choice to be aligned. It's yeah. my choice to look at things a certain
0: way. And and it just changes my mind. I'm a big fan of the uh, Ram Dass Experiments in Truth. I re-listen to that every year. And I listen to The Alchemist twice a year. And it really helps keep me. I'm, I reread that book all the time. Yeah, such a good book. Yeah. Uh, I mean, so where are you now what what you got to the other side
1: yeah i was gonna say that yoga oh right was this huge got- thing that facilitated my my healing um yo- so my, after this crazy ass party at my friend jesse's house one of my best friends jesse no shirt jesse shout out love you and uh he he the next morning was like let's uh let's do yoga, and I hadn't really done yoga before, and he led me in a, a yoga session, just him and I, yoga mats out on his porch, and, um, and I really enjoyed it, and I felt so calm and so clear afterwards, and I was like, huh. And he's like, yeah, you should, we went on a yoga retreat to Honduras or something recently, and, and uh, you should come. I go to yoga all the time at Yoga Hale and in Kona, and so I started going to yoga regularly and realizing that every time I went to yoga, it was the only time I felt okay. And because I had been going through this awful breakup where we were being mean to each other. And um, it was the only time where I, I wasn't really thinking about it very much. And I was feeling okay. And I was feeling clear and I wasn't crying. I mean, there were definitely some, some upward tears in my downward dog, but, <laughs> but like... I uh, I felt so, such clarity after doing yoga that I started becoming obsessed with it. I did it every single day, sometimes twice a day. And uh, when I moved to Honolulu, I went to hot yoga a couple, like three times a week, and I did regular yoga in my apartment, which was hot yoga because it was the summer in Hawaii. Um, and um, YouTube videos, and I got in such good shape better shape than I've ever been in in my life um mentally and physically and and my life changed so much then that I can hardly remember who I was before it I mean I literally had like an awakening and became so happy with being alone and didn't really miss him at all anymore and I love being alone so much that like if any guy tried to come into my life I was like no I'm good I'm okay I'm good Like, I just, I went traveling by myself. Um, I went to, I've been to, by myself for a month at a time. I've been to Australia, Bali, Thailand, Spain. Um, uh, I went, this last year I went to Mexico and Cuba. Um, And I love to travel by myself. And I love to just completely immerse myself in the culture and learn. And I took guitar lessons um, in Cuba this last year, and it changed the way I play. And, and um, I'm really connecting more with my Dominican roots, living there for my whole junior high and high school years. Um, the, the Latin music is something that's been instilled in me and I, I shied away from it for so long. In fact, I completely blocked out that part of my life for a while because it was such a painful experience being the only white kid in my school and and, I'm trying to fit in in this third world country where nothing was normal uh, to me and then uh, I like blocked out that part of my life and then now I'm reconnecting with it and I'm like oh yeah I know how to speak Spanish like oh yeah I like I can dance and I love Natalia Natalia La Forcade is one of my favorite artists that I listen to now she's a Mexican artist and I'm learning all of her songs and I'm writing songs in spanish i'm starting to play songs in spanish and uh learning more latin rhythms on guitar always trying to learn and grow and um and and reconnecting with that has
0: been my most recent musical journey i think this is all just so inspiring it's it's hard enough to navigate the world with people around you but to get to a place where you're okay in your own self to navigate is extraordinary it's such a beautiful story when we got together for breakfast the other morning and you started telling me all this stuff I was like my god I just I think these stories are important to hear because they inspire others who may in fact they may be on the precipice of of doing that and they're terrified to jump and you've been terrified a lot and you still jump I'm terrified all the time. I mean, even coming
1: out here, I've been here in LA for six weeks. And every time I'm about to go somewhere new and I don't know what to expect. I mean LA's not new, but well,
0: it's but kind of it's a I, new experience. Yeah, yeah.
1: I've been here many times, but coming out here for six weeks was is a new experience. And um and every time I'm about to I'm packing my bags and I'm about to take off to a new place and I don't know what to expect, I am scared. Um and I love it it's like this thrill I'm like I don't know what to expect like if I'm going to a new place I don't know what it's gonna look like I don't know what the food's gonna be like I don't know anybody there but that thrill of making myself do it is like gets me high Mm. I love it and then like like maneuvering through Cuba Havana for example that place is not it's not an easy place to to go visit it's not made for tourism um and i was taking public transportation like just hopping in the little cars that are packed with people and like probably the only like white girl doing that and um and i barely knew where i was going or how to how how the cars went where they went cuz you just go down one street and then you get off when you're at an intersection and get into another car and go down another direction and it was crazy but it thrilled me like when I would get back to my Airbnb at the end of the day I would close the door behind me and like literally just be like like screaming like with excitement and like jumping up and down just like so excited because I had it's like I had just ridden a roller coaster and I was just like so thrilled that I had done it and I'm like okay I need more of this and Hmm. and it's like it's like scaring the shit out of me, and also, like, uh, it's pushing me to grow, and um, I guess I just have like this lust for, for, for growth, and experiencing new things all the time, and that used to be, you know, something that was frowned upon. Uh, kids, you know, you're just like curiosity killed the cat, you know, and you just want them to be safe. And I, I'm i the one that wants to try everything and, and seeks the thrill of the unknown constantly. And I can't sit still for too long. I think it has served you well. How can people find your music? Um, my music, uh, JustKJ.com has links to everything. J-U-S-T-K-J dot com. And then my Instagram is JustKJ.love. J-U-S-T-K-J. That's my artist name, JustKJ. And... Um, It's crazy how, like, my music didn't start really uh, taking off until I gave up on it. (laughs) It's like once the pressure was off and I was like, fuck this, I'm not doing music anymore, and then I just start doing it for myself and doing it for fun, that's when the best songs started coming.
0: Returning to truth every time. Yeah. And, like, taking
1: that pressure off. And, um, like, I've had to try and unlearn a lot of the things i learned in nashville and stop measuring myself on that scale because i look at people i went to college with and people that i wrote with back in the day when i was there and they all have songs on the radio and they're as artists and songwriters and i'm like man if i had stuck it out i totally would have had something on the radio by now but is that really what i want no so why am i comparing myself to these people, like I can't, you know, I don't, I don't care if people think like, oh, she gave up and she left, because I've gained way more than I ever would have staying there.
0: I would argue that, and I say this all the time: you expanded. That there is a, a strange thing that I think people who are used to doing the same thing, they're single-minded in their focus, and and they're they're doing something, they're doing it well and that's gonna serve them their whole life. That when they see people who are like, okay, I did this, now I gotta go do this. And once I've done that, now I gotta go do that. They don't understand that. It doesn't make sense because it's it doesn't feel secure. It doesn't feel safe. But to me, it feels expansive. You become part of the universal flow. That's an exciting thing. I, I can't imagine a life not doing that it's just but for some people it just doesn't work and you bring up that the whole success thing too what again what does success mean when i got my reba cut i sat on my bed and cried i thought it does not get better than this because i grew up worshiping her you know and to have that happen was such a huge moment and to be able to call my parents and have them actually know who she was you know because um, you know they don't follow country music or anything but and then people are like, "Ooh, you know, what happens next? What happens next?" I'm like, "God, can I just be in this for a minute?" Yeah, and, and cut, hell yeah. Yeah, and it's like, well, what is successful? <laughs> oh, I guess success is success is actually uh, Carrie Underwood cut or whoever or Kelsey Ballerini cut. Well, that don't put that on me. That's if that's what makes you feel great about yourself, great. But I every goal that I set for myself when I achieve it feels like success but man there's sure a lot of voices telling you that that's not enough we have to be and I talk about this all the time we have to be the gatekeepers we have to for ourselves we have to be the dominion of ourselves nobody gets to tell you nobody gets to look at KJ and say this is your story this is what you should or shouldn't do how would that ever work for you yeah I mean if if you've Felt like your wings were clips it seems to me that you'd be looking around the house looking for anything to tape to you to get yourself out the window again you know so I, that whole idea of the word success it always uh it makes me a little Ooh. well
1: yeah <laughs> um people ask me all the time like so have you done anything big like have you you know Jesus,
0: your whole life has been something big. yeah
1: and and it's because i play a lot of a lot of private events in Hawaii and, um, in weddings and conventions and, in um, small festivals and stuff. And, um, I have people coming up to me all the time asking like, so like, have you done anything big? And they're referring to like commercial success. And, and of course, like everybody wants that. Like, I would love to be Jason Mraz. I'd love to be Jack Johnson. I mean, not be them, but they're some of my the people that I would love to be like. They, for me, are expanders that show me that you don't have to sell your soul and be a party animal. And, you know, like Jack Johnson goes on tour with his family and plays family friendly festivals. And I'm sure he's not getting wasted and, you know, Getting hotel rooms and traveling. Well, he knows rooms what and success means to him. It means something yeah.
0: different to him than what it means to Steven Tyler or you know. And then Jason
1: Mraz. Yeah. He, Jason Mraz is another expander for me. He he does yoga before every show. He he's an organic farmer, and he's in love with his wife. And he just does his own thing. And and um, Michael Franti and like these are people that have shown me that my what I what I want that I thought was so different is actually a thing. Like, I'm, I'm not, like, it's
0: possible. Well, yes. I think you're an inspiration. I really do, I, I'm not just saying that because you're sitting in front of me and, you know, kind enough to let me <laughs> talk to you, but I, I do find you. your life inspiring. Thank you so you much. You keep showing up, you
1: know. I think the key is recognizing early on when something is hindering your authentic self. Um, you know, whether it's a relationship or a substance you're using or food that you're eating, even just anything if friends that you're hanging out with
0: self-talk, um, any
1: self-talk. Yeah. yeah any sure. habit, anything that's hindering
0: your alignment. Um, and then always checking in to make sure that escaping you- into versus expanding out from, I, I think that's really the, yeah, the thing. Totally. <laughs> Thank you, KJ. Thank you. Everybody, all the things we've talked about, um, I'll I'll put those books that that KJ talked about on the links page on heyhumanpodcast.com. So they're easy to find and YouTube videos and all that good stuff. So thank you for listening. Bye. (laughs) Thanks for listening. Remember to rate and review Hey Human on iTunes. Thank you. Bye.